0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GBC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Lord, I'm glad that you came to church today. Amen. Praise God. You know, you could... Still be sleeping in, but, you know you sleeping in, you 're just not burning any kind of calories or anything like that, so you 're just still getting fat and happy, and uh, so you might as well come and be happy at church and burn some calories just because you got up, right? Amen <laughs> amen hey let's pray let 's just welcome God into this place because I believe that God wants to do some things in the hearing of His word, and I believe He wants to just make some deposits and some things that uh, we can take with us today. Amen, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. To just partake and hear the word of God. I thank you that the the Bible says that at the entrance of your word, it brings light. So I thank you that there is light that is received this morning. That Lord, darkness has to flee because a result of your word. I thank you that it changes us from glory to glory. And we're becoming more like you as a result of your word. And so we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we started a new series this week, or this, uh, this month, rather, at the beginning of January, and it's a series that we've entitled CrossFit, CrossFit, and so now it's not your typical CrossFit scenario in which we're talking about, because obviously CrossFit from the natural standpoint is just a, a, a means by which you can get physically fit and get healthy, and obviously that's necessary, but we're talking about Cross-fit, meaning that which happened at the cross and that which the cross produced and made available for us allows us as individuals, as God's people, to get fit. Amen? And so, if you remember last week as we began to lay out this, uh, uh, this message in this series, we said it was a little bit foundational. And if you recall last week, we saw that the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul says, that physical fitness profits a little. He says, but godliness is profitable to all. And so therefore, he was saying, you know what? Physical fitness or going and working out and getting healthy, it profits a little bit. It makes you live maybe a little bit longer. It gives you stamina. It helps you live a healthy life. And he says, it profits you. He says, but godliness or cross fitness will cause you to be healthy in all things. Everybody say all things. So that means that if I'll get healthy spiritually, that it will impact all things in my life. Not just my physical person, not just my spiritual person, but all things. And if you recall, last week we saw that we as individuals are made up of three parts, right? We're not just this physical person. Actually, we are a spirit. And we possess a soul. And we live in a physical body. Again, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So this body is just the earth suit in which we have the ability to live in the earth. And we possess a soul which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. But the truest form of who we are is a spirit. We are spirit beings. Now, once again, for you to not misunderstand that concept, when we talk about being a spirit being, we're not simply talking about this mystical, ghostly thing in which you can see through and we float from place to place and drift through walls and that kind of thing. No, if you remember, the Bible tells us that God is a spirit and that everything in this natural world was created by God himself by the words in which he spoke. So that tells us that the things of the spirit or that spirit realm, if you will, is actually more tangible and more real than this world in which we know. And I realize that that's difficult for our minds to comprehend, but in true reality, that spiritual side of us is more real than the natural side of our being. And so, we said that in order for us to develop that spiritual side of us, that the number one thing that we must do is begin to renew our mind, right? And we said that renewing our mind was renewing our mind by the Word of God, which allows us to begin to think like God. It begins to know God's thoughts and to really know His will for our life. And we said that if we truly knew the will of God, it would cause us to have confidence In this life in which we live. I mean if I truly knew that God's will. Was for me to be successful and prosperous. That God's desire and will for me. Was to have a marriage made in heaven. That God's desire for me was to be healthy and whole. If I knew the will of God. How much confidence would it give me. In the midst of facing a mountain in my life. Because I'm going through something right now, but I know my God said, and I know my God's faithful, and I know what God thinks about this situation that I'm in right now. How many of you know that God desires for your marriage to be healthy and whole? How many of you know that sometimes your marriage may not be what you want it to be? Well, just because it may not be what you want it to be, or my family, or my kids, or my finances, or whatever it might be in my life, I know that God desires for there to be more and greater success and greater advantage, right? And so once again, regardless of what I see, I know that God has a will and a desire in that particular uh, matter of life. So for us to continue to move forward in this, just to address this idea of renewing our mind, growing spiritually and developing the spirit side of myself, we're going to take it a little bit further this morning so that it can begin to profit all areas of my life. How many of you want all areas of your life? to be successful. We all do. Amen. But oftentimes what we end up doing is focusing on one or two things rather than really giving God the access of all things in our life. So here's what I want to bring to your attention this morning. It's in Philemon chapter 1. Philemon chapter 1 starting in verse 6. It says this. It says that the sharing of your faith May become effective, or the communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. So, today we're going to talk about who you are in Christ. And once you begin to understand who you are in Christ, it will change your perception of this natural life and how you go about your daily routines. Because the Bible says that in you, or I should say that in Christ, there is something that happened in you. Amen. And so, that means if you would begin to understand what is in you, in Christ, it would change things in your life. In fact, if you would begin to understand what God did in you through Christ, it would cause you to live life differently. In fact, for that matter, you know, many times we think it this way that, you know, when it comes to my relationship with God, it's being forgiven of my sins, it's knowing that I'm going to heaven, and most people just stop right there. Well, I ask Jesus into my heart, so therefore I'm in Christ, and I'm forgiven, and I'm going to heaven. But how many of you know that there's a lot of people that pray a prayer of salvation, ask Jesus to come into their heart, but at best, what their life looks like is maybe going to church occasionally, and that's about as far as it goes but everything else in their life is really just the same nothing really else has changed in the conduct of their life in the manner of how they live right but if you truly knew what was in you what God put in you because now you're in Christ it would cause you to live entirely different because of what he deposited on the inside come on say it with me say I'm in Christ come on say it Loud and strong. I'm in Christ. Amen. Now notice what it goes on to say here. It says that the communication of your faith and through the acknowledgement of every good thing that's in you. That word acknowledgement also goes on to say that your faith or the committing of your faith would be contagious. So in other words, this faith that you have with God and in Christ would be contagious. Now, I just heard a cough. Now, because everybody heard a cough back there, you know what they're going to do? They're going to avoid that person because they might be contagious, right? (laughs) She says, yeah. Right this time of year, people are getting colds and getting the flu, and you start seeing them looking kind of nasty and gnarly and coughing and hacking, and you're like, whoo don't get by me because I don't want to catch what you got, Right? But did you notice the Bible says that at the communication of your faith and the acknowledgement of your gift or what God did in you would cause your faith to actually be contagious. Or in other words, people would want what's in you. But how many of you know you've got to know what's in you in order for you to be able to communicate that for people to want what you have? But oftentimes, what do we do? When I'm forgiven of my sins, kumbaya, it's like, well... Yippee-yay. But when people truly begin, when believers truly begin to know what's in them, it begins to be contagious because people see what is in you. And remember we I said this, I said to you last week that when I was in a time of prayer just before last week, the Lord said to me that this year of 2020 is a year that our joy will be made full. I said, it's a year that our joy will be made full. And I don't know about where you have been, but I just got to be real honest with you. My joy tank hasn't been real full. I mean, you know, you're kind of kicking the can down the road. But, you know, you're just kind of getting along, just making it happen. and, and, And if you're really honest with you, you know, you might be running on half empty at best. But God said, this is a year that your joy will be made full. How many of you know that buying something might make you happy for a moment, but it won't give you extending joy, right? Somebody, some person, some man or woman might make you happy for a moment, but they won't produce or give you joy that lasts in your life. There's only one person that can give you true joy, and that comes from God because it says that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so therefore, if we begin to get cross-fit or understand what took place through the cross and in the cross, it would cause us to begin to have our joy restored because I begin to identify with who I am in Christ. Everybody say it with me. Say, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Amen. Now notice what this says over here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It may be a verse that you know well, but it says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's those words again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Notice it says you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Before Christ, the person that you were, all the habits, all the stuff, all the junk, all the sorrow, it's done away with. But behold, all things have become new. Now see, again, there's a lot of people that would say, I've received Christ, but I still live like the old man. Why? Because the old man is the only thing that so many people know. And so therefore, we revert to things that we know that will possibly bring us joy because that's the only thing that we know. But once we begin to discover what this new man looks like and who we are in him, then the joy can be full. Now... Translation says it this way. Since you have been in Christed, you have been re-fathered. You have been re-fathered. Now, what is that, why does that make a difference or why is that significant? Because I realize that there are many that are within our church, maybe some that are even here right now, that you maybe didn't have a father growing up. Maybe they were absent father. Maybe they were just absent altogether. Maybe they died young. And there are individuals that have used that as a crutch in their life. I am where I'm at because I didn't have a dad. You know, I've had a hard way to go because I never really had a dad to help me in my life. And we've used this as an excuse to base our circumstance where we are presently Based upon something that happened in the past. But the Bible says that when you are in Christed, or when you became this new person in Christ, the Bible says that you were refathered, or now you've got a brand new daddy. And how many of you know that your daddy God is a good God? And he's a good dad. He's a good father. Amen. So when you're looking at somebody else and saying, well, you know, I didn't grow up in that kind of family. It don't matter, because you've been refathered. You can't get any better than God. Well, hey, man, uh, uh, I knew so-and-so, and and their dad was so-and-so, and, and, man, they lived high on the hog. They had a huge house and yada, yada, yada. But how many of you know we've been re-fathered, and where our daddy lives, they use gold as the roads in which they walk on. And and just so that you know, uh, it's not just an overlayment of gold. You know, they don't just come through like our streets do and just put a layer of gold over top of what's already there. No, it is a solid street of gold. That's the God that we serve. He's a good God. And so therefore, if we knew who we were in Christ or what we had or what is in us, it would begin to change us because here's the thing, God doesn't make any failures. If God is our Father, then our Father does not make failures failure is man made amen so if i begin to identify you know dad, uh, my dad is god i've been refathered it don't matter if my dad was a creep don't matter if he was a criminal don't matter who he was what he did or if he, be, he if he's been absent or if he's been the greatest dad i have still been refathered and he's the greatest father of all and therefore he said that he put something on the inside of me so that i don't have to be a failure amen now remember, we said that we're purposing to renew our thinking, renew our mind, to think like God. And so we said that, first and foremost, you're a spirit. And so what we're doing right now in getting fit is that we're developing our spirit, man, of understanding who we are. Now if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over here to First uh, Corinthians chapter six verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says this. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord. So in other words, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, it says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Oh, did you catch that now? It says that if you are joined with the Lord, you have now become one spirit with him. So it's no longer just you all by your lonesome. And it's not just you with Jesus and what He did. No, the Bible says that when you were joined to Christ, when you were in Christed, when you now had God as your Father, you became one spirit with Him. So in other words, your identity of who you are is no longer you. When you look in the mirror and you think, oh dear God, man, I am so old and I haven't accomplished anything and this is the family heritage that I have and I don't know what my future looks like. All you're doing is looking at the natural carnal man but the Bible says your identity is in him. It's identical to him. Come on, is that helping somebody? Your identity is identical to Jesus. So therefore, your, your identity is exactly like Him. Therefore, His righteousness is your righteousness. His favor is your favor. His power is your power. His faith is your faith. Did I just say that? Absolutely. I said His faith is your faith. You just got to learn how to use it. How many of you know that Jesus gets Things done in which he desires, right? He believed for the lame to walk, the blind to see, the dead to, to, to live. It's the same faith that's on the inside of you. It's the same righteousness that's on the inside of you. What's that righteousness? That means that God looks at you as he looks at Jesus in your in right standing with him. He looked at you as though you were Jesus. Why? Because because of all that he did. Your identity is in Christ. Now, why is that? Let's look at a couple things here. Am I talking too deep? Are you following along with me? Are you tracking with me? All right. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, if you remember the scripture, the Bible says this. It says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Right? But that first part says, he was wounded. Now, hold that thought for just a moment. There's a scripture that also says, Jesus was speaking in the Gospels. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. But then there is a verse that says that we are to be engrafted into him or engrafted into the vine. Now, if you've ever Seen it done before, or if you've ever seen their uh, 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 grafting done when it comes to trees or bushes or plants of that nature, there has to be a wounding in order for there to be an engrafting, right? And what are you doing? You're making a wound on one particular source, and then you're making a cut from another source and you're engrafting it into the source of life does that make sense and there has to be an identical wound to take place in order for the engrafting or the joining to take place now when you're engrafted into the vine what produces the source of life that which was being engrafted or that which was being engrafted too That which was being engrafted to is the source of life. And so when you're engrafted into him, the source of his life begins our source of life. Right? And here's the thing. When it comes to be the engrafting, did you ever know or notice that whenever there's an engrafting that takes place, where it was engrafted becomes stronger than the actual limb itself? Why? Because of the process. In fact, I remember when I was, uh, I think I was in fifth grade, we were playing football for Jim, and I dove for the touchdown, and I landed on my shoulder, and I broke my collarbone. And so, as I went into the doctor, the doctor was telling me the process of the healing, and they said that when your, your bone starts to heal, it will start to infuse, and it will cause there to be an overlayment, a- if you will, of calcium or whatever it is that your bone begins to, to, to heal. And as a result, the place in which was once broken is actually stronger than it originally was. And they typically say that if you're going to have a bone broken again, it won't be broken where it once was. Because where it once was broken, it is now stronger. So, when you're engrafted into Christ, you become stronger because it's not of you, but it is the life source of of that which you're engrafted into that becomes your source of life. Amen. We are engrafted into Him, and so therefore, it no longer becomes you and Him. You become one, and it becomes your identity. Amen? Are you tracking All right, let's listen here, over here at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life of which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, notice once again how he identifies himself. He says, I have been crucified with Christ... It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Did you uh, notice the identification that Paul makes? He says, now, when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified with him. And he says, now that I've been crucified with him and engrafted into him, it's no longer my life because I died. In fact, my life source is Jesus living in me. I identify with him. Amen. How many of you know that if you're crucified, that means somebody's got to die? But not only do you die with Christ, the Bible says that He raised us up together with Him. And then it says that Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father in power and authority. And the Bible says that He caused you to sit down with Him in the very same place. Why? Because it's your identity that you have in Him. Right? Right? So, God's not trying to make a better version of you. I'll say that again. God's not trying to make a better version of who you are. He said, I'm going to make you a brand new person. Your identity is no longer yourself. Your identity is no longer your past. Your identity is no longer who your father was. He says, your identity is now in me. You died with me, but then I also raised you up together with me. And the very life source that's in me, is yours. Your identity is in me. Now, if you recall in John chapter 10, we say this around here often, but Jesus said this. He said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Now, help me out if you know what it goes on to translate as. That word life and life more abundantly means also quality and quantity of life. All right, so now listen to this. Jesus said, the reason that I've come is that you would have life and a life more abundantly, a life of quality and in quantity. But notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says that you are a new creature in Christ. The literal translation translates as this. It's a new kind that has never yet been made, that in new in quality and new in quantity. So, this new identity that we have in Him is far superior. See, we've got to stop seeing ourselves as just who we are, but begin to identify ourselves with who He is. Now, you're ready for some exciting news or some exciting stuff? You can't talk about your identity without talking about the blood, because it's the blood of Jesus that gave us our identity. Now here's the thing, if you you identify with your problem, you no longer have the power to change the circumstance. I'll say that again, if you identify with the problems that you have in your life, you no longer have the power to change them, because the Bible says it is Him that causes us to have the strength of quality and quantity of life, and it's through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says this, Jesus said this, He says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. What does the word remission mean? It means this. It means to remove. It means that there is no longer evidence of, no remembrance of, no guilt of. So Jesus said that your identity, because the blood of Jesus was shed, there is no longer no remembrance of. Of what once was. It's been removed. And there is no more guilt of the past. Now how many of you have ever carried that around? I know some, they go around saying, you know, well, I've done something in the past. And because of what I've done in the past, I just will always have this thing dogging me. And I can't get over it. I can't forgive myself because of what has happened in the past. But how many of you know that the Bible says that the blood of Jesus, the remission of sin, removed and erased the past because I am now a new creature in Christ. Therefore, I have a quality and a quantity of life, not because of me, but because of Him. You see, it changes your outlook. It changes your thinking. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And there might be somebody that said, well, you don't deserve that. No, I don't deserve it, but he qualified me because he went to the cross in my place. And the Bible says that I was crucified with him, but he also raised me together with him. Amen. And so if anybody ever tells you that you're not qualified, oh, I am because he qualified me. Amen. When your past tries to come and dog you, remind you of what happened and what you said and what you did, no, in the name of Jesus, I've asked for forgiveness of that. And so therefore, there is no more remembrance of it. Now, you might choose to remind yourself, but in the mind of God, God says, I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, have you ever done that before? You know, you've asked for forgiveness of something, and the Bible says that when God forgives you of your sin, he forgets it as far as the east is to the west, right? And then you find yourself down the road six months or whatever it might be, and you find yourself getting kind of caught up in that same thing, and you go back to God, oh God, I'm so sorry, I did that thing again. And God says, did what again? Well, you know, I was praying and I asked you to forgive me the last time, but I did that again. And God says, what do you mean you did it again? Well, you know that thing. And he says, I don't have any remembrance of it. Why? Because when he forgives, he forgets. And the reason that he forgives and forgets is because of the blood of Jesus that was the remission of sin that erases and removes the past. So I don't care how ugly, how bad everything was before Christ. When you receive Christ, you are a new person. And because of the blood of Jesus, you can identify with the new man. Whether you choose to or not is up to you. And whether you choose to or not is based upon what you know that is in you, that is in Christ. Amen? All right, with that being said, when it comes to the remission of sin, the remission of sin is not just for eternal life. Right, uh, let me rephrase that. The remission of sin is not just for this time here on this earth. It is eternal. So you got to think of it in, in, in eternal perspectives because you realize a million years down the road, we're still going to be saying, oh, thank you for the blood. Amen. And you realize that on that side of glory, there's going to be a whole lot more blessing than there is on this side. I say more. It's just there's less, there's not going to be the distractions of life like they are now, right? But think about this, the difference between the natural life and the eternal life. If somebody went home to be with the Lord and they were able to see the goodness of God and able to actually see themselves the way that God sees them, do you realize that they would never want to come back? Nobody that has ever went to heaven says, man, I want to go back because you know what? I had a golf game scheduled Friday. Right? Seriously. Nobody has ever went to heaven and think, doggone it, man, I I had this planned and you messed up my plans. No. Why? Because when you're on that side of glory, you see you like God intended you to see. But you can see who you are on this side. But isn't that how it oftentimes is in this natural life? Well, you know what? I had some things planned. I had some things planned in my life. I was going to go to church, but, you know, decided to go do something else. Well, why would you even weigh one versus the other? Or getting caught up into old lifestyles because you don't know who you are in Him. And who you are in Him is far better than outside of him, and that your joy can be full. Amen? Now, let me conclude with this example, if you will, to help bring everything in perspective of what I was sharing. If I lost you along the way, hopefully this story will help put the pieces together for you. This past week, when we were out of town in Tennessee, Pastor Mark was the minister that was speaking at the conference. Uh, Pastor Mark Hankins, if you've been here, he's been here a few years back. Uh, But his grandson uh, went through a bout of cancer two years ago. And so as a result of the cancer, they just really engaged their faith and started to believe God that he was going to live and not die. And it was bad. It was really bad. He almost was dead. And so they just trusted God. And he got some natural treatment through the doctors. And so as the battle went on, they started to see progress. And there came a point in a time where the doctors said to him, he's in remission. And remember we said earlier, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin or removal or no remembrance of, right? So they said he's in remission. Well, so they're really excited about that prognosis. But then there was one of the leading doctors that was, I guess, working with them. And they said, we want to run one additional test before we discharge you. And so they ran another test and found some evidence of cancer in his blood. And as they continued to do further testing, what they discovered is that he was free from the one issue of cancer, but now he had cancer in his blood or had leukemia. And so the doctor said, this is something that we uh, would like to do. We would like to do a bone bone marrow transplant to help him get through this. And so they set up a consultation. They got together with the family, and Pastor Mark was with them as well. And so this leading doctor in New Orleans was sitting down and going through all the procedures, telling them what was going to take place, that what we'll do is we'll find a donor. And uh, when we find a donor, what we'll do is we'll extract the blood, and we'll actually uh, extract, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, Stem cells We'll we'll extract the stem cells from the donor And then we'll give them Or transplant them into your grandson And then through that What we'll purpose to do is Get rid of the leukemia And so after a a lengthy time Of going through all the details And the procedures of of what was going to take place She asked the family Is there any questions that you have And Pastor Mark said Well I do have a question He said you said that Uh, before all the treatments that we went through, that he was in remission. But now you're telling us that he's got leukemia. So why did you tell us that he was in remission in the first place? And she said, well, there is two kinds of remission. She said... The remission that they first gave you was concerning the first bout of cancer that he went through. But when we went through and did some further research, we found that on the molecular level, there was cancer in his cells. And so, therefore, we are going for a molecular remission or remission on the molecular level. And so, they're like, okay. And so, what they did is they ran blood tests with all the family to find out who was going to be the best donor. And they found that there was a brother and a sister to the grandchild that had the same blood type, but the brother had the better of the two blood types to help the one that had the leukemia, and so they decided he will be the donor. And so for four days, they had a direct feed into his heart, extracting blood from the brother, and he's, I think, under 10 years of age, maybe 12, somewhere around there. Four days extracting blood and extracting the, uh, uh, what did I call it? The stem cells from the brother and taking a surplus of those. Once they got done, they said, we have enough stem cells to last him for the rest of his life. So it was a good procedure. Then after they extracted the the stem cells and the, the blood transfusion, then they brought the little boy in, Dylan, that has the leukemia and says, okay, now it's time to make the transplant. So they had everybody leave. It was just the mom and the dad. They had a, uh, a sterilized room. He had to be quarantined for several weeks, I think almost three months. And they said, okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to go through the procedure of giving him the transplant. Before they did that, the doctor came into the room and stood at the end of the bed of the little boy that had leukemia. And she says, well, Dylan, today's the day to say goodbye to you. And he didn't really know what he meant, What she meant by that. And she said, well, what I mean by that is that the old sick boy is going to be gone today. And at the end of all the procedures, you're going to be a brand new healthy boy. And so, for several days, they were giving him the transplant of the new stem cells. Then what she said, now, this is touch and go. It's very critical in this time that we're in right now. And one of the things that we're looking for is that the stem cells will take in his body because not everybody takes them the same way. Sometimes when we make the transaction, 50% of the person's body or the blood still is active and portions of it is active from the other donor. And the best case scenario is that there is a Uh, major engagement or interaction with the transplant. And so as they began to uh, do the testing and found out how it took place, the doctor says, we are very pleased with how this went. Because the majority of the transplant was successful to where it's almost a complete transaction of blood. Now here's what happens. I said all that to say this. Remember we said remission, the removal of, the erasing of, no remembrance of. When they made the transplant, they said, or they say when they do a transplant and when it is thoroughly successful, because it's on the molecular level, it changes the person that is receiving the donation. They said that if the person that is donating the stem cells, if they had blue eyes and you had brown eyes, once you receive the donation, because it's on the molecular DNA level, if you had brown eyes, you're now going to have blue eyes. If the person that gave you the donation had curly hair, you are now going to have curly hair. If the person that gave you the donation had brown hair, you're going to have brown hair. If your skin was a little bit olive in complexion, your skin color will change because of the donor. And even to the point that the thoughts and the likes that you have as an individual, you'll take on the likes of the person that you received the donation from because when there is a blood transfusion, there is a total remission or removal of the person that you once were and now molecularly, DNA, you are a brand new person. And she said this, that if you had a crime where they had a blood sample of something of the past and now they took a blood sample of you now, DNA would not match. So you never could be accused for a crime you once committed based on the blood sample that they once had and the blood sample that they now have because you are changed molecularly. And the DNA is no longer the same. So what's that mean for us? When you're in Christ. Because he shed his blood. What he did in you and for you. Means that there is no longer any past remembrance of who you once were. Because in Christ you're a brand new person. That means you no longer have to identify with what was because the blood of Jesus has made you a brand new person. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. So what does that mean? That means that as I begin to renew my mind as to who I am now, it causes me to be fit, stronger, healthier because of what happened at the cross. The blood of Jesus changed who I am. It's been removed. Amen? No more guilt. How many of you know that there's things that you've done that can haunt you from time to time? If you'll put it under the blood, there can no longer be remembrance, no longer guilt of what was, because you're a new person. Amen? Does this help anybody this morning? (laughs) Amen. right. This purpose to grow. This purpose to renew our thinking is who we are in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for this opportunity to discover who we are in Christ. I thank you that the old man has passed away. All things have become new. Why? Because godliness is profitable for all. And as we begin to grow in this knowledge of who we are in you, we'll begin to gain confidence, assurity. Our faith will soar and our joy will be made full. I thank you, Father, that this year our faith is going to a new place. Our joy is increasing. The mountains of the past are no longer mountains before us. They'll be underfoot. For we trust you. God, we thank you that we're not the same person that we used to be.